Welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast, episode 12. Hey, Jay, number 12, what have we got this week? Well, I don't, I don't think we can start yet, Heather, because uh, you've got, you've just got something on your face. You've got, oh, oh, sorry. You've just got a bit of, oh, it's a bit awkward, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Right, I'm going to carry on. Thanks for telling me, though. Um, we've got um, some workplace friends and uh, poetry keeps popping its head up. And you're going to find out who calls poetry liquid mercury. Well, I might just lose the build-up of that and just say, we're so excited because we've got guest of the moment. We have got writer of the moment. The poet author of the final year, Matt Goodfellow, is going to be with us. And we're going to give him plenty of time to chat all about it with us. So we better get going. Jane, before we get into gratitude, which you know I love to be ever the optimist, I just thought I wanted to highlight something that's um, been highlighted to me this week. So thank you, uh, Women Ed, for sharing about this. Um, On, I think it was the 22nd of November, did you know that that was equal pay day in the UK? So, you know, we, we hope that we are here with our feminist vibe standing up for for women in education even though we massively outnumber the men um this this surprised me actually like all of the british sectors of pay men are paid more that didn't surprise me but knowing that in education we have pay scales that seem to make things fair we are third from the top of sectors with the worst imbalance. So we've got finance and insurance at the top, then construction, and you should probably would expect, and then education, 20.4%. Shocking. Oh, yeah. how, I, it really kind of struck me. How mm. can we have that pay system and yet women are being paid significantly uh, less so, and actually, when when I looked a bit further into it, that was equal pay day, which means from that point, 22nd of November to the end of the year, in effect, women are not being paid because of the difference. But when you look into it even further, if um, we're talking about women of colour and different uh, ethnicities, their equal pay day is, is, is gone, way gone, because the, the pay gap is um, is worse. So we've got a lot to do. We've got a yeah. lot to do. Yeah, we really have. That is shocking, isn't it? That is, um, yeah. Um, oh, can you put that in the show notes? I certainly will. I'm, I'm going to, yeah. there's, there's the little graph, Jane. But the, yeah, yeah, we are third. And down there, accommodation and food has got the the, the smallest gap. So mm. you wanted to jump out of teaching and go somewhere with a fair gap. That's where you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> Dear. Yeah, you have some so gratitude, to... though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you make me do this, don't you? You say it's good for our relationship, so uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's good for life, Jane. It's good for it's good for your well being. Yeah, let's do it. So I'm super psyched and thankful for, and I'm going to call this um, uh, assertive compassion. Okay, and, and and I want you to picture the scene. Okay, there is somebody who is very animated they're gobbing off they're talking to a group or maybe just one other person is that you maybe Uh, and and then um you've got to no so this could be you or somebody else but you've got to interrupt them okay Uh, and they're mid-flow and someone is talking and uh they're on the go but this interruption cannot even have a polite excuse me in front of it because it's really timely and, and it's a bit urgent and you're going to slice a bit you know rudely into their flow and okay. say um you've got a bit of and you're trying to do it quietly not to embarrass them and you've got a bit of you can't even finish the sentence because 
what hap- what is it going on? Somebody's talking, right? And because they're talking, you look at them. Because you're looking at them, you can see something on their face. And uh, you can't tell them what it is because it is really grim. Oh. Really grim. Because uh, I was thinking it was like sausage rolls, crumbs. Is it grim? Well, do you know what? I think... <sighs> Do you know what? You can get, get a bit icked out. It can be a bit like, it's a bit, I don't know if I've got a bit of germaphobe in me as well. I don't know. It's a bit like, yeah. if I knew it was sausage roll crumbs, then okay. I, I'm not so icked out by it. But if I'm thinking that is a skin flake. Ugh. Or a bit Ugh. of spittle. Spittle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So you can't go... Oh, you've got a bit of egg sandwich. You know what I mean? Oh. Or or you've got a bit of bogey. Oh, you oh. can't actually say what it is. And like, what if they're in the hierarchy of school, like more important than you? Do you know what I mean? What if they are like they've some people have got titles I don't even understand now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Email them to Heather. She's she's getting loads of emails. <laughs> loads of emails, yeah. <laughs> I think in school as well, like PVA glue gets everywhere and that can look a bit like bogey, can't it? PVA can bogey glue. Or spittle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How yeah. many oh. times can I say spittle? <laughs> oh, yes, you've got a bit of sl- saliva mixed with phlegm and spittle. <laughs> Dangling <laughs> on your Movember. Uh, <laughs> right. Mrs. Green. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry if you're called Mrs. Green. I'm sure you haven't got a November going on. <laughs> I'm sorry if you've got facial hair. Uh, <laughs> no, look, I want to. I'm trying to say all of that. I am grateful for the people who tell you. Yes. I'm not grateful for the people who don't tell you. And I'm just putting it out there. I want to be told. And I suffer from watery eye. So sometimes when I get in my car. I look in my car mirror and I look like Alice Cooper. I'm like, nobody has <laughs> told me. <laughs> They're frightened, Jane. They're frightened, oh. Jane. I was wondering what you were going to say then. I suffer from spittle. <laughs> <laughs> Facial hair. Yes, I do. Shut up. All right. Has <laughs> uh, this, this been something that's happened this week, Jane? Has somebody said, uh, Jane? Yes. You've got a bit of... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's nice to do that. And it was bogey and it was hard for them to tell me, but they did. They hardly knew me and they couldn't finish the sentence. Um, And I dealt with it. So, yeah, but it's embarrassing, but it's still good to be told. Good for that person. Good, brave for that person, because otherwise I'm... I'm carrying on talking and everyone's looking at it flobbing around. <laughs> <laughs> How big was it? <laughs> no, it's not a snot rocket. It was just like a little. You said just... flobbing around. Oh, oh no. Jane. Oh. Anyway, yeah. what are you grateful for? I'm glad we uh, uh, overused the word still there because since I did a bit of a uh, favourite, like, Good words um, uh, when we read aloud from um, Susie Dent. Oh, I don't want to mention Susie. Oh, she's on the list. She's on the list. She's on uh, the and list. Tom Reed Wilson. Um, I've been asking people about words and lots of people have been sending me nice words. So I just, just got a few that I'm grateful that people sent before because they, they feel nice. Like words like kerfuffle, Ooh. nefarious, skedaddle, serendipity, effervescent shenanigan and then I found a really really good one that this is for me this is a bit of me this word Uh, it's a 200 year old Scottish term meaning to lounge in bed long after it's time to get up herkledurkling I love that say it again fancy a bit of of herkledurkle yeah Oh, as long as it's not a scratchy blanket, I'll, I'll, I'll hurtle dirtle. I feel like, you know, for for women of a, a certain age, at our, you know, we're, we're three months into our, you know, budding relationship now. Mm. The next base, instead of it being Netflix and chill, our next base is herkle-durkling. <laughs> oh, I quite like that. 
I do. I want to do that. I want to do that. I um I rang my daughter the other day and uh, she's just started dating this new guy. And I was like, um, oh, his name's Cassius. And I was like, I'm sure she's glad you're telling the nation. <laughs> I said, I said, how's how's Cassius? Uh, I said, do you love him? Do you love him? Like teasing her. And she just went, he's next to me, mum. Like, <gasps> shut up. awkward is that more awkward than having spittle or snot on your face yeah that was really awkward I think that was probably really awkward and then I've got one other little bit of um gratitude because yesterday I was in my happy place in a pub in St Ives with loads of shanty singers what that's a bit weird like so specific (laughs) it's very specific it's very cornish and i love it everybody gets embarrassed and doesn't want to be with me because i just get swept up in the moment and want to sing tom can i can i can do my you should come down next year no thanks (laughs) (laughs) i didn't think it was your kind of music you are way more trendy than me and kind of happy yeah, yeah. I just uh, just the richness of voices singing together, Aww. nice rowdy atmosphere, and uh, and a women's group as well. Because the shanties were songs for you know fishermen on the boats to keep get the rhythm of, of doing things, but some great female groups there as well. So big yeah. shout out to Acapella Moonshine, love them. Do you have to so, say like get your nets out, get some fish for tea, something like that. <laughs> You know, what are they singing? Come on, boys. I don't know. How are boys? Uh, there dinner. is one song. Um, uh, we newling girls know how to dance the poker. And it's kind of about, you know, the fishermen coming in and them having a different man from each boat. And it's a bit raunchy. Yes. Yeah. Mm, and a bit of what can you do? What well, the drunken sailor? I don't even know it, do I? <laughs> what do we you should do move but on. Shag a sailor. What do you do but shag a sailor? Yeah, I got it. Right. <laughs> Let's do some sentences. What have you yes. been thinking about? Well, I've been thinking about, and this is because this is happening between us and it's cute. Because um, I think you are this now, Heather. Um, oh. Workplace friendships make us feel more positive about our lives. And and um, and this is what the research says. Um, help us be more creative and innovative so i want to say i think we're getting a bit of a friendship and i do feel more creative and innovative working with you um yeah and and friendships should foster elation and security and and i think you get to elation and security we've got to be able to trust someone don't you and i think yeah. we professionally trust each other and so actually we can have little slices of joy i'm on the wrong section aren't i i've gone in the i'm on gratitude attitude oh what anyway <laughs> keep going roll with it it's good i'm yeah, liking yeah. it roll with it roll with it yeah so i wanted to say um i love kind of having a best friend and like best friends at school they're just so many great moments like you know you're in a stock cupboard uh you know giggling about something that actually you know you shouldn't have done or it went a bit wang or (laughs) it got (laughs) you said the wrong word you know and you know you've got a bit of we coming out laughing I love that (laughs) or um you know you know they're a mate because you kind of flump next to them at work in the staff room or wherever and you go have you got a sanitary towel? <laughs> and they're like, no. And you're like, oh, I don't think uh, I can stand up. Oh, no. Um, or, or this has happened, you, you, your friend in teaching starts mispronouncing something and you've got to call them out about it, you know, uh, onomatopoeia, like, hello. And you can, <laughs> but, but it's just, and you can read some for it. And I love that. Uh, so what I'm going to say to sum it all up is make friends make friends never ever break friends but don't sleep with them because that can make it complicated 
But I still might sleep with you in that Scottish sort of blanket cuffle muffle. Yeah, we can herkled herkle car. Herkled yeah. cuffle muffle. What am I talking about? <laughs> cuffle muffle in your herkled herkle. Ooh. Keep your herkled herkle to yourself. Oh, I like that, Jay. I yeah, definitely. Definitely need you to have those your people and yeah. right back at you with lovingness. Yeah. Relationship. Yeah, it's it lovely. Is that your sentence, Don? You managed to be super short and snappy there. Thanks, honey. Uh, well, you're gonna right. re- you're gonna go on and on and on now. You think you can take my three minutes? Yeah, yeah. I think we we agreed that we would be short and snappy this week because have we got a great guest for you? We wanted to, you know, leave enough space. But uh, yeah, so I, I changed what my sentence of the week was going to be because I thought, oh, that one's a bit long. I'll switch that to next week. Give a bit more thinking space. Um, and and this one's influenced by our, our guest coming coming on. So it's a short sentence, but I think I've got a bit to say about it. So I have to be succinct, which is another good word, isn't it? Here's my sentence: Poems keep popping up. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've got Matt Goodfellow coming on a book written in verse. Last week with Dr. Tim Rosinski, we were talking about you know the the use of poetry and it and it being amazing. Um, we've read some poems in Wonder of Words, and um, yeah, it just feels like maybe I've just been noticing them a little bit more and appreciating them. Um, yeah, so I feel like this is a bit of an ode to poetry again. And I know I've done poetry in Sentence of the Week, and I did have a little listen back to make sure that I didn't didn't repeat myself. But, yeah, they keep popping up. So there's a few of the things that keep popping up to make me just love it even more. Yeah. Um, so I shared some words from Tom Reed Wilson's book and oh thank you Tom for resharing um our podcast as well that was that was amazing um but he has committed um it's not this year because I think it's going to take him like two and a half years or something to learn by heart one of Shakespeare's sonnets so all of the sonnets and he performs them um each week and I thought, oh, and it's magical. You really need to have a little listen of that. Um, and it it made me think about, I don't know whether I've mentioned this, when Dame Judy Dench was on Graham Norton's show and yeah. she recited, just off the top of her head, uh, Sonnet 29 it was, and it was as if she stopped time. And... Um, and Nicola Davis at the non-fiction conference, she read uh, a beautiful poem and it kind of, uh, it's just tickled in my brain that thought about things staying with you and whether you've got any poems that are stuck in your mind that you can recite. And the one that sticks with me is A.A. Milne, there's a little bit of um, us too. Wherever I am, there's always poo, there's always poo and me. Whatever I do, he wants to do. Where are we going today, says Pooh. Well, that's very odd, because I was too. Let's go together, says Pooh, says he. Let's go together, says Pooh. Do you have any poems that... um... Well, do you know what? I have better than poems, but uh, you know, I sometimes have a menopausal brain and I'm actually on Google as as we speak, not because I'm going to Google a poem, but... Um, I listen to regularly uh, a poetry podcast. And it's by <gasps> someone famous, and I can't remember his name. Do you know who I mean? Well, no. I, I I don't know because I'm going to recommend oh, yeah. a poetry podcast as well. Go on, let's what? see if it's the same. Frank Skinner. Oh, oh no, it's it's not. But I haven't come across that one. Oh, I I just love it. I just love it. And there's no bells. There's no whistles. It's just, and sometimes he reads a line three times and uh, he's on the list. Oh. <laughs> this is a long list. You say 10, but I feel like we may be <laughs> up to 10 already. But there we go. Oh, yeah, yeah it's bro- but- great. I love poetry. <laughs> I love it. But I, I love it. And I, but I, I feel like 
through doing this um, and talking about it and engaging with it and it's it's just brought it back to my mind and I, I'm hoping that that's what we're doing for our listeners and inspiring them to to bring it into the classroom so we've got Matt uh, coming on uh, and we're talking about the final year which is inspired by Skellig um, and right at the end they give the baby a name and they toss around Persephone, don't they? But in the end, yeah. they go with the name Joy. And I came across a poem about Joy. Yeah. Um, I think it was on Instagram. Um, yeah. And there's a, a poet called Harry Baker Poets. That's his um, tagline, Harry Baker Poets. And he he shared a poem. Now, found out a little bit more since kind of finding it because I thought, oh, that's amazing. Um and he hosts a monthly uh, poetry night and he records that live as his podcast. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. And um, the podcast is called Something Borrowed. So he has a guest poet on and him and the guest poet each share uh, something something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, each uh, a poem. And one of the poems that he shared, uh, his borrowed poem, uh, by Donna Ashworth is is called Joy Chose You. Um, can I read it to you, Jane? Are you yeah, gonna let would me? You, please. Yeah. <laughs> Joy does not arrive with a fanfare on a red carpet strewn with the flowers of a perfect life. Joy sneaks in as you pour a cup of coffee, watching the sun hit your favourite tree just right. And you wash your joy away because you're not ready for her. Your house is not as it should be for such a distinguished guest. But Joy, you see, cares nothing for your messy home or your bank balance or your waistline. Joy is supposed to slither through the cracks of your imperfect life. That's how Joy works. You cannot truly invite her. You can only be ready when she appears and hug her with meaning. Because in this very moment, Joy chose you oh so wow. I, I i thought that was great and I, I just just keep finding all this poetry that just keeps touching me and inspiring me so i think i need to shout out that's a great podcast it's not poetry for the classroom but something borrowed by harry baker go and have a listen um it's absolutely brilliant and just one more a little a little do we call them tweets? I'm going to call it a tweet um, by an account called Little Flowers. And she shared, Poetry Club has grown. We started with just one child and now we have seven lovely members. Last night we drank hot chocolate and marshmallows and used the brilliant apes to zebras and A to Z of shape poems as our stimulus. That's at Pegswood Primary. I thought, yes, go you. So... Yeah, real poetry keeps popping up, and I love it. Good. Oh, thank you, Heather. <laughs> does that lead us? Does that segue us into our amazing guest? Absolutely. We're excited, aren't we? So excited. Well, um, this is the coup of the century. We have got. Matt Goodfellow, and I've been reading his poetry behind the scenes for years. And uh, I mean, all of his work is utterly stunning. Uh, but this, this lyrical retelling of Nate's life is blowing up blowing up on the internet. Uh, I'm going to wave a copy here. Uh, Heather's got hers. We're delighted he's here. Welcome, Matt. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Good, good. Oh, welcome, Matt. I, I, I had a few phrases that you may recognise where I've stolen them from to describe you as our guest. This is where we, you know, we're really bigging you up to, you know, make sure that you have a good time. Because I was going to say that we've got Matt Goldfellow, an extraordinary being, and he is the nectar of the gods. Oh, recognise? <laughs> very nice. I like it. Let's start with a, a fun question. So for the final year, um, Skellig was obviously a massive 
influence and inspiration for you. But Michael ordered number 27 and number 53 for Skellig. So I'm interested in what are you ordering from the Chinese? Oh, man, it's, it's got to be a special Charmaine, hasn't it? <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, if it's special if I've got my daughter with me, my daughter tends to go for the same thing every time. Daisy likes um, a sweet and sour chicken. If I've got my dad with me, it's like everything on the menu. <laughs> Does he share though? Do you have to get like I don't I don't know whether I like it when people get different things and they go we'll share and then you don't get as much as you want. My dad does that thing where you just get the whole pot of rice and he just sticks the whole thing on his plate. <laughs> as a rectangle mould exactly yeah. exactly. that's exactly what my dad does yeah. I don't know what they're called but I like battered chicken balls <laughs> right. they, who'd have thought mm, you'd have said balls Jane who'd have thought it <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, what I want to ask you Matt listen I want to ask you so much and we will never get to play time if I carry on asking all the questions I've got in my head uh, so I've really had to cut it back but uh, for me the book just resonated with authenticity and the teacherness of it and the knowing of school you know like the the, re- the real sense that you know it and um I mean, these are probably very minor in the book, but things like um, uh, now you've never seen Christmas. I'm quoting here. Now, you've never seen Christmas till you've seen it in a primary school. And just a very, very small moment um, when uh, they're on the coach going on the year six residential and Mr. Joshua's words, they're just so real when he says okay guys settle down please and it's little but it just (laughs) is um you know the fading name tags on the drawers the pile of PE bags in the back of your club the stink of the year six classroom um you know how do you how do you ensure that it that it was authentic how what is your thinking process what is your internal monologue there Matt uh, well, I, you know, I obviously was a year six teacher. Um, and so all of that stuff I've said, I'm sure. Um, yeah. We've been on the residentials and all that stuff. And it helps also that the editor, Charlotte Hacking, is also a former primary school teacher. So when during the editing process, we could sit and have a chat about it and, yeah. and work out, would a teacher say this? Is this how they would be done? So, but, you know, we've... That the idea was to make it as authentic as possible, um, because yeah, that's what we wanted to do. Of course, <laughs> hopefully, of course. Hopefully, hopefully, sort of achieved uh, some of that. Can you say more about? Um, it's not just in the teachingness; it's in things like accent and dialect as well. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I I wanted to write the book in in the the accent and dialect of the main character because it's part of his identity, it's part of his cultural heritage. And I think uh, as teachers, there's so much stuff about standard spoken English that Ofsted are still looking for, which in in my opinion is very outdated. We've done quite a lot of work with um, a couple of linguists at Manchester Met who have talked about Ofsted's use of standard spoken English. And I, I believe that you know, articulating yourself is we should all be proud of our voice. We should all be proud of the voice we've grown up with. And what we wanted to do was have Nate talking in his authentic voice. Yeah, it was so palpable. It's It was so important. And there was no time when reading that um, it, it didn't uh, reveal his truth or his struggle or, you know, a coping or a not coping mode you know when you read it um it's not like oh it's a shame he didn't use some different more nuanced words you you never felt that it it was still so palpable of an experience as a reader and um yeah you just wow i I think you've changed (laughs) me matt forever well i think she's wordless (laughs) the thing with poetry is as well is is because because people are inherently nervous or a lot of people get nervous about poetry because generationally 
the way the education system works at times, and it's, it's never the teacher's fault, is generation upon generation of young people have left high school, for example, feeling disenfranchised by poetry, and that poetry has to be this and it has to be that. And one of the one of the greatest things that poetry offers you is a chance to speak in your voice and about your life, and and therefore poetry doesn't need to. I mean, yeah, it can, can it can be opaque, it can be difficult to understand, it can be florid, but one of the greatest things it can do is capture the cadence of your natural speech. And what what we were trying, or what I was trying to do, was show that you you know life experience, voice matters, and it can be written very poetically in the in the most simple language. Yeah. And will you please stop saying try, Matt, because you have done more than... It is just so superb. It is back of the net, you know. It's it's excellent, you know. It really yeah. is show-stopping. Loved it. Absolutely. And it's just been embraced by the teaching community, definitely online for what I've seen. Has, has that surprised you, Matt? Did you expect it to be this rip-roaring success? Not really. One of the things about writing and putting books out is you're never really sure about it. anything creative, I suppose. You're never really sure what the reaction is going to be. But the support of teachers, the support of librarians, the support of um, Instagram book bloggers has been incredible. And, it, and it, what's so beautiful about it is, is the the ground up kind of word of mouth thing that you know there's not there's not been a very expensive publicity and marketing campaign around this book. It, it, it's been word of mouth stuff um, from from people genuinely being uh, affected, I suppose, by the book and recognising the lives within it. Um, so, no, I, I never expected it. I mean, it, it, it's been brilliant. It, it, it's um, so great to see the whole thing unfold. Um, yeah, it's been a beautiful day. Oh, it is beautiful. Uh, you touched upon the fact that uh, poetry isn't, isn't done well in school. So um, I found a quote from, you talked about working with the lovely Charlotte at the CLPA, and this is from Farah's book at the CLPA. It says, poetry is a particularly powerful medium that provides scope for sincere, heartfelt insights into the thoughts and feelings of others. And through such honesty, gives license to the reader to feel, connect and reflect Yet, in the Poetry in Primary Schools 2023 research from the CLP, they found that 61% of teachers have never had development training on poetry and 79% of classroom book corners have fewer than 10 poetry books in their selection. And I imagine some of that selection is probably a bit dated and, and naff as well. There seems to be... A fear around poetry or a kind of it gets pushed off the end of the timetable. I've seen you deliver poetry training to teachers at a Reading Rocks event, probably, I don't know, four years ago in Liverpool. And you are a captivating deliverer of poetry. Um, you know, you grabbed your audience and drew them in and engaged them in, in writing poetry. How can How can primary schools get a little bit of that? They can't all be you. But how can they? How can we be better at poetry in primary? Well, I don't. I don't think it's. I, I don't think it's, the poetry is not necessarily done well. I think what it is is there's a general generational lack of confidence about poetry. But you know, if you're if you're a, you know, my my 18 year old son left high school thinking that poetry was nothing to do with his life, and his dad's a poet. And it, you know, so if you grow up. A lot, you know, a lot of young people become teachers that maybe have learned that poetry isn't something for them. And again, it's not the teachers at high school fault. It's the way the education system puts so much pressure on teachers to teach any kind of writing in a particular way. The the greatest thing that I think that teachers can do is get poetry heard in the classroom on a daily basis. It's not yeah. it's not rocket science. Yeah, and and also like the CLP has loads of brilliant free resources, loads of videos, and if you let young people see that poets come in all different shapes and sizes, every different accent and skin colour you can imagine. And, and people that, you know, speak in their accent, be proud of it. I, young people need to see, and see, you know, some teachers as well, that if they are nervous about poetry from their own educational experiences, people need to see that poetry does everything that you can imagine. It's like mercury, it can't be pinned down. And to, ooh, to get it exposed ooh, in the past. Say that again, the, Matt. <laughs> she likes yeah. that. <laughs> It is though, and the only the only way to understand that and to let to let 
teachers and young people know that is by getting it heard. And as a teacher, having those conversations with kids and saying, oh, look at this poem today, it's completely different than the one we looked at yesterday. There's there's no punctuation in this one. This one's this one is quite difficult to understand. Is that okay? And if you're having those conversations and seeing what poetry can do, everybody begins to understand without any pressure that, that here's, here is a, a writing space that is different. And in my opinion, it becomes the only space in the current education system where teachers have autonomy to facilitate creativity in a way that nobody can walk into your classroom and say, hang on, this isn't a year six poem because it doesn't contain this and this and this. What we're saying to the young people is here is a space where you are free to articulate yourself and you can talk about your life and you can do it in your voice. You can do it in your accent should you choose to. And you have the autonomy and the teacher has the, you know, the autonomy to deliver that in a way without the worry of somebody looking over the shoulder and saying, do you know what I mean? It's just a different space. And the only way to understand that is by getting it heard on a daily basis, a poem a day, watching a poetry video a day and exposing young people to that and allowing them to make the decisions about, OK, you know, because not everybody wants to be a poet, you know, but, but, but that exposure helps. It also gives teachers a chance then without any extra work to, to, to be putting themselves in front of poems that maybe they can use and manipulate and use as scaffolds to get you know, to get the PSHE curriculum push through the poetry stuff, let let the young people talk about it. But it's just like it's got to be the exposure to it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh. I think it's really empowering mm. when you look at it in that way. Yeah. Oh, Matt, it's, um, it, in, it's incredible to remind us as teachers uh, the power of that space, actually. You know, it really is. And just listening there that you can't pin it down. You know, it's like mercury. That's... that's uh, uh, really sort of I, I do love a bit of a kind of a visual like that it's that's really going to stick with me unlike mercury of course but um <laughs> are you taking that one jane put it in your pocket you can have that one i'll have that i'm also I'm, as i'm listening as well i'm thinking there, were, there wasn't a poem from for me growing up in birmingham called Bab, but i'm gonna write it now <laughs> yes. yeah but you know there are there, there are poets like if you listen to uh, liz berry Liz Berry, you know, writes in a Birmingham accent. She's, you know, and it's it's that freedom capturing the cadence of, of of the way that we speak and allowing people to be proud of the cultural heritage wherever the starting point was. What, however, whatever their accent and dialect is, um, and, and being proud of it and, and saying this is this is who I am. Here's a space where I can I can do that. And teachers' lives are so busy, and especially when it comes to writing, there's so many. For teachers, there's so many plates to spin. There's so many plates to spin for the kids and the young people. And poetry is just a different space. But it's just got to be, they've got to be immersed in it. Otherwise, everybody just gets nervous about it. And you can't walk into a bookshop, really, and find or a library, and or, or a lot of them, and find poetry accessible. You know, it's hidden away around corners and stuff like that. And it, it, it all becomes, it all gathers this idea that poetry is a difficult, troubling sort of thing when, you know, you can do what you want with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That freedom is so crucial, isn't it? And and making sure that poetry isn't hidden round corners, uh, that, that that pride is kind of right up there in, in lights and kids can yeah. see a, a no, bright but... way to kind of latch onto it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, when, when I trained to be a teacher, I did the PGCE. And, you know, like, there was no talk of poetry at all on the training. There was no, there was no, when I started teaching, teachers generally would do poetry if they really had to. And it generally involved, like, the highwayman or Kit yeah. Wright's big box. And they're yeah. great poems. But, like, it's, it's just because there's no support network there. And I'm getting getting poetry into the classroom on a daily basis is a way to raise people's confidence levels, again, both the teachers and the young people, to say, oh, here's, here's, a, here's a different space. And even within, you know, if you look at what Mr Joshua is able to say to Nate about the education system, it's probably a, the way a lot of teachers feel. And um, you're able to go, oh, well, actually, here's a space where we can, we can put the voices of our community at the centre of what we're trying to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah definitely. There is I think this the power part. in the book. Mr. Joshua is like definitely a character that 
one of the beauties of children's literature is that it's great for kids, but it's actually great for adults as well. And it talks on many, many levels. And I think that connection with Mr. Joshua and how he feels um, is is one of the powers of, of the book. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think uh, one of the reasons I think probably why it's resonated with teachers a lot, hopefully it is authentic and you know, it, it feels like a real classroom and a real school environment. But also teachers, you know, the reason why people become teachers is they be care, they care about young people's lives. They want to, they want to help young people. They want to, and so much of when I was a teacher was bound up by pressure and the rules and, and, and that, that job as a teacher it never gets any easier. No teacher's workload ever lightens. It's things just more get added on. And, 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 and through no fault of our own as, as teachers and educationists, it stands we can't do the things that we want to do that we got into becoming teachers for because we end up in a system where we're pushed from pillar to post to satisfy whatever whatever government diktats come through that with the that, you know poetry is a, is a completely different space and um i think it you know getting it into the classroom helps us all understand that yeah, yeah. um a couple of things you were saying there first of all i mean I just wanted to say a PGCE is the harshest way to train as a teacher. So all any ECTs out there who've gone that route, I mean, it's just, it's, that's such a tough road into it, isn't it? It's so hard. You've suddenly got your, your class and you're just like, well, this has been nine months of thinking. I mean, it's the same amount of time to grow a baby, but now you've got 30 of babies i mean it's a it's a, it's a killer yeah. uh, that's a tough yeah. route in isn't it and i just wanted to say to our listeners really if you're new into teaching you've gone that route are you okay you know <laughs> it, it is it is a difficult way into it and also you know you're dealing with young people's lives and young people's lives do have trauma and do have grief and sadness and stuff and and really you're learning on the job it's all that stuff that teachers you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult job. If somebody, you know, if you have a child in your class that is grieving, you, you really get no extra training on that at times. And, and you know, you, it's, it's a very, very difficult job. And hopefully the Mr. Mr. Joshua, what, what I wanted to do, you know, that, that is a bit of a love letter to teachers and, the, and, and teachers yeah. working within an industry that often has them teaching with one hand tied behind the back. It, you know, and Mr. Joshua, I think, is somebody that at the start of our teaching careers, we come in, we come into things with such positivity to affect young lives, um, hopefully positively. And so it was great to have the, the, the character, Mr. Joshua, as, as really trying to do that and really trying to negotiate the stuff that he has to do and the stuff that he has to say because he's employed in the education system, but also showing that he's a human being dealing with human beings that, that are that that have things happen to it and, and yeah. You, yeah. You... humanity that that is really strong in the book isn't it and that's that is what is the beauty of teaching as well isn't it the complexity of of life and I think we've all not all of us but you know a lot can can picture innate that we we've taught and actually that that pull and that draw of being the person who can help them in some way, shape or form is what, you know, draws us as teachers, yeah. isn't it? And year six especially, you know, I, I, I did eight years as a full-time class teacher and then three years part-time. And I think five of those eight years, I think, I, yeah, I was a year six teacher for five of those eight years. And it's a very difficult, you know, nobody in the education system works harder than the adults and the young people in year six and there is there is so much pressure and it's but it's such an exciting time in those young people's lives that are you know they're on the threshold of moving and you know it, it, it was a privilege to be a, a year six teacher working with those kids but you know a very difficult job and I you know I take my hat off to everybody that's still that's still teaching yeah 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 um, I, I was just reflecting though, as you were talking. I, I've got a sense that Mr. Joshua might be a little bit autobiographical. I mean, I think he, you know you can't write like that unless you've probably felt or lived something like that. You know, in your, you know, in your teaching yeah, life, yeah, yeah. Matt. Ab you know, absolutely. Everything, everything I ever write is a combination of three things: it's my life, lives that I've seen, and stuff that I make up. Yeah. 
and yeah, yeah. that's that's the, so that's all within the story. You know, there's, yes. there's there's massive elements of that story that I saw happening. Of course, there's ele- there's elements of me in in Mr. Joshua. There's elements of me in Nate. There's there's um, there's there's lots of different autobiographical things in there. There's lots of my family within the the book, yeah. and there's lots of things that I've seen. And then there's then there's the fiction stuff that that we that we put in there to make a story. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and the other thing that really came across, um, and I don't, you know, I mean, there's so many messages intertwined in there, but that feeling, it, there's there's a bit of a guilt bomb. I'm going to just say uh, with this book of, um, I don't know. Sometimes as teachers in our busy, hectic, sort of manic world that is the classroom. Um, that like are we really valuing children's love or children's friendships of each other because you know what are we saying all the time as teachers they come up to us on playground duty and we say oh dear uh go and find someone else to play with then oh never mind you'll be friends again soon you know and it's just I don't know if we give enough space to how brutal rejection can be for kids like their friendships aren't as real and as like Mm. gnarly and hard and difficult as our friendships and relationships and um yeah I just felt I just felt really guilty that I was not like Mr Joshua at all I was like the cowboy you know well well, I mean Mr Joshua you know he's 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 a very very good teacher isn't he that cares about his job but it's the stuff that I was saying before. Every teacher that I've ever met carries that within them. And it goes back to the point that you don't get into becoming a teacher because you don't care about young lives. You get into teaching because that is what – and what teachers, it becomes so difficult at times to negotiate each day because of the, the education system that sometimes stuff can be pushed out. Um, but inherently – you know, I, I do, I'd be amazed to meet a teacher that didn't care about young lives, you know. So, and Mr. Joshua just allowed me to, to use him as a mouthpiece, I suppose, for some of my views on the education system, some of my, you know, how how it, how difficult it is to be a teacher. And, but also I think as it, the reason I had him as an ECT uh, is that people that come into the education system come in full of energy and full of passion and full of care and empathy and love and Nate Mr Joshua is able to spot the fact that you know Nate's Nate's struggling and spots it right from the start when he recognizes him regulating his breathing he's already heard from his the last teacher about him picks up on that and that is that is the teaching community that is what teachers want to do and be like and Mr Joshua is just able to be to do that at this stage within this story you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it becomes a bit <laughs> twisted and not noticing. <laughs> I hope not, but but you know, he's got he's got the he's got that overt compassion and empathy, hasn't he? And also, he's got the ability to be able to spot to spot those young people and make a point of wanting to get involved and wanting to support that and change that in you know difficult situations. And I've seen that. I've seen that time and time again with teachers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was um, was Skellig always to be part of it when when you when you came up with the the concept of the book? Was mm. was it always? Did it always have Skellig woven through? Um, I can't remember to be honest. I mean, Skellig <laughs> Skellig was a book that. I read. I mean, I was supposed to be a rock star, and that was the dream. And um, I, 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 when my rock star ambitions died, I became a uh, became a teacher. My sister was a primary <laughs> teacher, and um, I read two books: um, Skellig and a book called um, The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, yeah. And I read both of those, and I was like, ah. You know, kids' books can have it all. Kids' books can have depth and subtlety and nuance, and and so Skellig was was something that deeply affected me, really. And um, I think I can't remember at the point 
that, that I started thinking about Skellig as well. But, you know, when, when you, you, we read some books that stay with you, you know, like you were saying before, Jane, stuff stays with you. And when I read Skellig, I was like, here's a writer that can, that can do something different, that, that, that can write for young people and not talk down to them and, and, and talk about depth and talk about grief and subtlety. Um, so, yeah, to be able to tie that in, I mean, I met David Ormond um, last week, funnily I enough. I saw your photo on the socials. I was going to say, did you have a chat with him about the book or did you get a bit tongue-tied? How was it? Oh, no, he's such a nice guy. He's, he's, uh, you don't write like he can write without being the sort of human being that has empathy and love and kindness and care. So he was just the most beautifully, softly spoken um, nice guy, and it was a, it was you know, it was a, a pleasure to meet him. And he, he he came down specially to meet me. Um, I was in between book events and um, wow. it, with a, with a brilliant independent bookshop. And obviously, the independent bookshops have been as important as anybody in the success of the book. And he was just brilliant. He was just so nice and um, generous. Um, so it was great. Has it? Has he read it? Any of it? Oh yeah, yeah, he's read it because uh, the, the the one person I wanted. As a quote on the back of the book was uh, was him. So we I spent. Should know that, shouldn't I? Spent of course. A, I spent quite a nervous bit of time waiting to hear back from him whether yeah he would he would read it and um, give us a quote for it. So I was delighted um, when he did. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, yeah brilliant. Um, I've got a couple of other things I want to ask you um and I don't even know if this is a question really probably not even a question but I just <laughs> wanted to say it um it's it was sometimes there's this much smaller things that really kind of uh, struck a chord with me but um I really loved uh the counseling section and I don't know whether that's sometimes you know like how books do like you connect with certain things because of certain th- things that have happened in your own life so they become magnified for you in how you interact with it but uh when Nate goes about counseling but I'm not doing any of that stuff ever again you know and that he has just realized that counseling isn't for him he's got a a different way that he's going to process things and he's going to talk with his pen and uh, and that just that recognition that, you know, there's been kids that we know will work with in the past where um, counselling is is not the right medium for them to uh, kind of get through stuff. And some children want to communicate without words. So, you know, actually counselling would be like a really tricky thing for them um, because it's not always words, is it? It can be written down and sometimes it's actions and like some people hate counselling, <laughs> you know, and I just thought yeah. that was there's a real honesty locked in that. It's not a question, I know, but. Yeah. Well, you know, you, again, it's that thing, isn't it, that it's that combination of my life, lives that I've seen and stuff that I make up. You know, we've all seen things that work for some people that don't work for others. Um, and it's, it's, it's just it's picking and choosing what you want and moulding it into a, a narrative that kind of expresses what you want to say. And, all the, you know, the book, I, I wrote the book in a very difficult part of my life. I, I got divorced and I was, it turned into like the most acrimonious divorce in the world. And I was writing this book. I had to move in with my dad for a year. And the, the interesting thing, and I, I was talking to David Allman about this, was that it, I only realised this when I read the book back. Um, a lot of Mr. Joshua talking to Nate is me talking to myself during that, period of time you know and I said I was talking to David Allman about it but then he just sort of tapped me on the arm and he went yeah you only find out what they're about once you've written them and I was like wow yeah. oh yeah. wow that is I've got goosebumps when you say that and it, it, if poetry isn't anything it's about truth and the fact that you've come here today Matt and just been so truthful I mean please do not ask me to be truthful God about my <laughs> life at the moment for God's sake I'd lie anyway. I'd lie you know when I work in schools and I work with teachers and and kids I'm honest about the fact that you know my childhood was difficult um and um like that life is difficult but hopefully um there, there is always there is always hope and there is always, an, you know, a way to express yourself in whatever medium that you have, because not everybody wants to be a poet. Not everybody wants to be a writer. Um, but that life is difficult at times, but that hopefully 
you, we can gather tools that, that will allow us to understand that in those periods, you know, in what what's the quote from the book, the, the darkness switches on the lights, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, yeah, you've touched so many people with this book and I love that, that actually the process of the book has been important for you as well. Um, and all that you've done is left the teaching community and children in classrooms is wanting more. So lots of people want to know, what are you writing next? <laughs> what am I writing next? Oh, that uh, seems like it's a good question. <laughs> uh, well, I am planning Don't to write me. a sequel. Yeah, I'm planning, I'm, I'm planning to write a sequel, yeah. Um, but, so, okay. but we'll, we'll see how that goes. The, 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 um, it's got to be as good or better. I, I have no intention of ever writing the same book twice. And um, if a book has resonated with so many people, what, what you can't then do is, is is write something that goes a bit flat. So there's there's there's, it, there's pressure. <laughs> Pressure's on this time. It's, it's harder yeah. to write a sequel, isn't it, than the first one? At least, yeah, the hope is there with the first one. <laughs> well, for for me, it's a, hopefully it's it's about pushing your parameters and seeing seeing what you can do as a writer. You know. Yeah. Can I ask you one question? Because we um, we we talked about your book. Jane read some of it out and I'd shared that it had gone in our subscription box. And we kind of, I think Jane actually put it out there into the universe and said, that's going to come on this, this uh, podcast. And then suddenly you messaged and said, I believe you want me on the podcast. And the universe had, had done its work. And uh, we're very grateful that, that you're on. I wonder if there's anybody that you think we should have on here that would have a good discussion that our teacher squad community would really like because you know you've obviously got something going on with the power of the universe there <laughs> but you got you have to get david almond on wouldn't you yeah <gasps> well david did actually want to come on and share a message but his diary didn't allow it this week we re we very much wanted to surprise you with him coming to do a little reading for you but unfortunately uh, he's such a busy person, so I'm glad you've met him this week. <laughs> yeah, also, I, I think get more, you know, get poets on. I'm sure you got poets on. There's a brilliant poet called Dom Conlon, um, who's a beautiful writer, and and get, getting people on. Charlotte Hacking would be great to come on and talk about the work that she does. Um, but yeah, I think poets talking about poetry, talking about why they write and stuff, um, is always a great thing to get on. Yeah, well, it's out there now. Let the let the universe do its work, Jane. Yeah. Oh, Matt, it's been amazing, and uh, it's, it's ever since reading it, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I think I might need to uh, reflect upon my own beast within myself. <laughs> I might have to be taken to the sunshine room. Oh dear. <laughs> Don't let it out, Jane. With with all of that stuff, I mean, we were. I was very very lucky that Joe Todd Stanton agreed to do the illustrations because the illustrations are obviously beautiful and elevate that. And you know, Joe's a much bigger name than I am, so to have him there was brilliant as well. And and again, that was down to Charlotte Hacking um, that made that happen. So uh, yeah, we were very very lucky. And, and you think about the illustrations of the Beast, yeah, the the, the you know Joe just really got it and. Um, it gives us space for the words and elevates the words um, in a really special way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well done for mentioning, Joe. We definitely should have done that. Do you know, Joe has um, drawn a picture of me before. <laughs> he, um, we, he, he was um, our patron of reading for a year. And oh, on one of, the one of the days he visited, I was dressed in a full gold lame <laughs> deep sea diver outfit. And uh, and he drew me in that, so you know. I hope he drew you with a small head, Heather. No, <laughs> massive, big, massive head, <laughs> and a cup of tea in hand. I think he's he's a really Joe as well. He's a really nice, um, quite understated, quietly spoken Very. guy. Really, really sound guy. Yeah, he's really talented. I'm incredibly humble with it. Uh, yeah, yeah nice guy. Oh, Matt, uh, that was incredible. Uh, I hope you're going to stick around, please, and uh, help us with the wonder of words. Certainly will, yeah. So, Jane, wonder of words, our favourite section, but um, 
we're going to go a bit different this week. You know, it's it's difficult to shut you and I up and to stop us sharing words. But whilst we have such a wonderful guest, uh, we've kept Matt on. We thought I thought it'd be really nice for Matt to do Wonder of Words. Um, and we've asked you, Matt, to share a little bit of the final year uh, with us and our gorgeous listeners. So I'm hoping that you've chosen some great sections can you tell us what you've chosen and then we're just going to sit back and we're going to let the words waft over us and enjoy aren't we jane yeah defo yeah can't wait what have you yeah got I, i'm going to read you a poem called have you ever felt lost and um it's at a part of the book where nate is struggling a little bit and he's talking to mr joshua um yeah and you want me just to just to read it yeah Go for yes, it. please. Oh, no, no. Have you ever felt lost, sir? With no handholds and you're stuck in the tail of life, with it all just spinning on round you? Mr Joshua's sitting marking maths books at the end of the day. The last of the maths is still dithering on the playground. He closes the book. Yes, mate, I have. But the thing I want you to understand is that in order to really find yourself, you first have to be lost out there in the wilderness. It's nothing to fear. And when the darkness comes and you think you can't find a way, that's when it happens. Yes, you are lost for now, Nate, but only certain people see that darkness and understand that really it's the darkness that switches on the lights. You've got that light, Nate. You will refine who you are. And what's happening will change you, shape you. But that's okay because it will not break you. Dylan will fight, Nate. He will. And you must too. He looks out across the playground to somewhere miles from here. In the darkness, you will find yourself and your people. Those who have seen it too. Those who navigate and find a way. Stick with those people, Nate. Stick with yourself, your pen, your dreams. Ideas will guide you. You can't ever change things that happen around you. And all you can do is continue your journey. Whatever happens. Don't fear the darkness. For a few seconds of silence, we're in a dream, clothed in fog, and Mr. Joshua was ahead of me, almost out of sight, talking about darkness, talking about light, and somewhere I hear feathers moving in the wind. <sighs> Have you got gooseies, Jane? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, and just knowing actually where that is in the book, it's just so poignant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. That's, I think when you hear it direct from the poet themselves and it's just laden with all of that voice and that passion, um, yeah, it's very, very, ooh, yeah, I've got tingles and a, a, bit, of, a bit of a frog. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's great. And thank you for the support around the book. It's been brilliant. Thank you to all the teachers, you know, the, the librarians, the indie bookshops, everybody that supported this. It's been a, a brilliant movement to see. So thank you very much um, for all of that support. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, and I hope you, I hope you um, have sewn all your own sequins on your outfit. That was a really good thank you to everyone. We don't normally have that amount of thank yous, but yeah, what a nice guy you are, Matt. <laughs> oh, we can't let Matt go without asking you to give, give a book recommendation to the Teacher Squad podcast community. So is there something recent you've been reading or something that, you know, has stuck with you that you'd like to shout out about? The, the, the most interesting book that I've read recently, and it's not, it's not appropriate for a primary school classroom, um, is a book called Bear Mouth. If you're interested in, this, in the sort of the accent and dialect stuff, um, have a read of that book. Um, it's by a writer called Liz Hyder. Um, it, it, it's an incredible book just to read and have a, have a bit of a think about it. Um, Skellig, obviously. Also, if you've not read Skellig, I'd read Skellig. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much incredible stuff being uh, out at the minute. But yeah, um, Bear Mouth is the book that has made me stop and think the most recently. But Thank it, you for sharing that. Not, not for a primary school classroom. Uh, before... We repeat, not for the classroom. <laughs> <Before> <laughs> Can I just you... jump in on Skellig? Sorry, Jane, yeah. and say 
that yeah. if you ha- if you haven't read it or you want to do a reread, like I thought I'd reread it before we um, we talk to you. I did it by audio book, and David Almond actually uh, narrates his own book, so to hear it with the accent um, is is really really good. Sorry, Jane. Oh, I know. I was just going to recommend uh, this book, Matt Goodfellow. You might know it. Uh, Let's chase stars together because my favourite poem in there, uh, which um, I think is almost like, um, you know, uh, the final year almost grows from that is transition. And that is a cracking poem. I love that poem. Um, Um. Yeah, really good. So that's my recommendation. Brill. Ah, look, I had the same book with my bookmark in um, all the colours of the river I like. So, yeah, get yourselves a copy of that, guys. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. We better let him go. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Oh, Jane, we built that up, didn't we? And it did not disappoint. How good was that? Oh, it was brilliant. And if you want to find Matt, you can find him on the website, mattgoodfellowpoet.com. Absolutely. uh, Go and check him out. (sighs) Love that. Really loved that. And um, (laughs) where can we find you, Heather? Oh, yeah. You can find me at wherereadingrocks.com. Come and see all the things that we do or send me a message if you've got any questions. What about you, Jane? Where can we find out what you're up to? Well, don't try and follow me on where I'm up to. I'm driving all around the country. But uh, (laughs) if you want to sort out writing or reading or spelling standards in your school, you can find me on janeconstein.com and uh, I'll help you implement the very best practice uh to improve your english curriculum so yeah you can find me you can email me or email heather i was thinking we've done a there's quite a few dot coms mentioned there we really should mention heather at the teacher squad podcast.com uh, yeah get in touch oh yeah. you did have an email this week though didn't you jane I did have an email. I had an email that was just adorable who said that they really appreciate that I show my gratitude for books by rubbing them on my tits. And before I lower the tone any further, I think we should say it is big love from Heather and heart bursts from Jane. See you next week. See you, everyone.